0: Show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most powerful folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and in an interview too thing you can do Hello everyone and welcome to Police Off the Cuff real crime stories your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a 27-year retired veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How about you? Doing excellent. And uh, we brought back a crowd favorite tonight, too. Uh, John Pellucci, a retired NYPD crime scene sergeant, who happens to be a ballistics expert and an expert on all things crime scene. And he's going to explain a few ballistic uh, categories to us and uh, it'll help us understand uh, much better about this whole thing uh, in regards to Alec Baldwin and the shooting. There's been some new, I I shouldn't really say new developments, but in the investigation, uh, David Halls, who is the assistant director, he's changed up his statements a few times uh, from the beginning. And right now, OSHA, who stands for the uh, Organization of Safety... Occupational. Occupational Safety and... uh, Health Administration. That's it. And they want to talk to David Halls in regards to what occurred on the uh, set of Rust. And he's been ducking uh, them, not making himself available. So a judge issued a subpoena to have him show up. Now, what could happen is he could show up and he could take the fifth and not speak because you got to remember this case could also be a, a criminal case down the road. So he might not want to lock himself into any statements that he will make now or any time in the future until it's determined whether or not this case, in fact, will go criminal, or is it just going to be a civil case? So based on his interview in the the early uh, stages of this investigation, he made a very specific statement, and now he's sort of changing it up. We're hearing a lot of different rumors. His attorney seemed to be a little confused, and she – couldn't uh, agree with whether he, in fact, handed the gun to Alec Baldwin, whether he did not hand it to Alec Baldwin, whether all the armorer, uh, Gutierrez Reed, handed it to him. So there's a lot of confusion there. But the biggest thing about this investigation is the most important interviews were the ones that were conducted by the police right after the investigation. They're going to hold the most water. They're going to ho- hold the most credibility. And the uh, if there is a defendant, the defendant or defendants, Will be held to those statements uh, much more than they would be to statements made on tv or self-serving statements made to news reporters the other thing is that a letter was recently issued by uh, some of the crew of rust and uh, uh, at least 25 of the crew signed it indicating that the uh contrary to popular belief the rust set was not fast and furious and loose and uh, ignoring safety. They were um, doing things the way they were supposed to do. I mean, that sounds like a, a very self-serving um, type of letter that may be you know, encouraged to write by the, the powers that be that uh, have the most to lose in this case. Your thoughts, Phil?
1: Well, uh, Bill, right as we were going on the air, as the Open was playing, I just got a notification on my phone Relative to what we're going to talk about tonight. Alec Baldwin's cell phone, uh, they uh, are doing a search warrant on his phone related to the Rust investigation. Um, It's been requested in a new search warrant that was released Thursday by the Santa Fe Sheriff's Department. And they want to search his phone for any evidence related to the death of Helena Hutchins. Uh, It's requesting a warrant for seizure and search of Alec Baldwin's cell phone in search of any evidence related to the death investigation of Helena Hutchins, the affidavit attained by Fox News, says uh, basically they believe there may be evidence on the phone due to individuals using the cell phone during or after the commission of the crime. Now, this is telling me uh, that things are really beginning to heat up. Uh, You know, you got this, the uh, request by OSHA to speak with, um, the the ad uh, holds, and now you have uh, this new search warrant just issued a little while ago. Apparently, uh, such information, if it exists, may be material and relevant to the investigation. Um, they were made of uh, made aware of several emails and details and text messages sent and re- and received regarding movie production rust in the course of interview. Obviously, reps for Baldwin did not immediately respond. To Fox News for comment. So uh, basically, we were going to talk about holds. This just broke. Uh, I think it's very relevant. It seems like things are now starting to heat up. Uh, I think that uh, during the investigative process, we know that there were initial interviews. Now that the investigation has gone on for several weeks, I think that they're starting to dig down. They were probably met with Uh, I'm not going to talk without my attorney. I'm not going to make any further statements. So now they're trying to turn up the heat a little bit. Uh, I think that the, uh, the latest development on the search warrant of Alec Baldwin's cell phone. I mean, if he takes the phone and he smashes it with a hammer, those text messages are still, uh, memorialized by the cell phone company so they can get them. It would just show a reluctance to cooperate with the investigation. And I think that, uh, Yeah, it is going to be some explaining to do. Uh, It sounds like maybe somebody else might've been using the phone uh, based on interviews that took place in the early stages of the investigation, Bill.
0: Phil, that could be so damaging as to be unbelievable because you have to realize he could have texted his wife. I just shot somebody. Right. Accidentally. And I I pulled the trigger. He could have admitted to that via a text message. Now, As you said, people don't understand. You could destroy your phone. You could get rid of it. You could lose it. They could still just subpoena your carrier and get all the information that was inside your phone. So even if you try to destroy it, that is not going to destroy the text messages. It's not going to destroy the evidence. And this is a huge thing because I think it sort of shows that they're considering this to be a potentially a criminal investigation. Absolutely, Bill. And I think what they're going to be looking for is
1: obviously what I stated that there may be text messages or information from other people. It looks like he let someone else use his phone. Now, again, like you just said, suppose he called his wife or he texted his wife and said, uh, you know, I just shot somebody by accident. That I don't think is going to play so much into the criminal investigation. We all know that he fired the shot and I don't think there's any Uh, you know, any reluctance to the fact that it was an accident. But maybe there was something, who had this gun loaded? Why were those guys playing with the gun? He might have related something in a text message that might be very relevant to how a loaded firearm got on the set of that film. And then who was it that he allowed to use his cell phone? That's what I think is going to be of the utmost importance because that's what it mentions in the actual uh, search warrant application, that there was information from interviews that were garnered in the early stages of the investigation that lead the investigators to believe there might be relevant information regarding text messages by other people that were allowed access to the phone.
0: Well, you know, Phil, in, in listening to his statement to uh, George Stephanopoulos, that when the gun, you know, miraculously just went off without him uh, pulling the trigger, uh, He claims to have no idea that she was shot. He claims that he stood over her for about a minute and he thought she fainted, which is totally disingenuous because there was a loud boom. And there was also a guy named Joel Sosa, who was the director, who was screaming in pain that he was shot in the shoulder. So the same bullet uh, hit Miss Helena Hutchins uh, and and hit uh, Joel Sosa in in the shoulder. So for him to say he thought she fainted is just absolutely ridiculous and that that thought could have crossed his mind
1: in the first four five seconds but once you start hearing the other person screaming she's on the floor she's obviously going unconscious i don't think it took more than a few seconds to figure out that a shot was fired
0: you know folks just i'm seeing people in the chat uh, questioning why uh, that his cell phone was just uh a search warrant was requested now you cannot erase the information on your cell phone. So it's much like a computer, uh, the carrier, it, it, it's there almost uh, as far as I, I know, it's there for almost ever, including the text messages. So all you guys saying, could he have wiped it clean? I don't think he could. Well,
1: well, Billy, what you now I have a little bit of experience in recent years regarding cell phone technology and stuff. And there's two ways that it's saved. One, it goes to your cloud. Uh, your own personal email hooks up to the cloud so you can retrieve your own stuff. The second way is the carrier is under law, by federal law. They have to hold every message or phone call, not the exact taping or or they don't listen to your calls. But uh, when you dial a number, it will register what number you called and how long you spoke to that person from your number to the other number that you called and how long the phone call was. Now that has to be held for 365 days on day 366. It gets erased. However, it is backed up through the national security agency for five years. So if it was, let's say some type of an espionage case, or it was something that dealt with national security, they can get it up to five years. However, the carrier is only uh, obligated to hold it by law for one year. So we're within a year. He can erase the phone. He can break the phone. They can go into his cloud. They can get a subpoena for that, or they can get a subpoena for the carrier. Either one of the two will reveal what, uh, what was said on the text messages when this incident took place.
0: That's, uh, that's fantastic. So folks in the chat, so you can see that the, um, uh, the chat and the cell phone calls, the call, the calls coming in, the calls going out are always oh, recorded. For at least a one-year period, the other part of this investigation, before I bring John Pellucci on, which I know all you guys are uh, anxiously waiting for, is that twenty-five members of the staff of the movie Rust wrote a letter, you know, talking about how the set was safe. Uh, it was not fast and and uh, loose. Uh, they followed things by the book, but that's that's sort of like a smokescreen because it's clear that it wasn't very safe because. There's people that left the scene. There's people that uh, are now suing Alec Baldwin. So that it's sort of like a smokescreen, and it doesn't make much sense why they uh, sent this letter out. Phil, thoughts?
1: It's obviously self-serving. I mean, listen, we know for a fact, this is not hearsay, this is a fact, there were several people that worked on the set that were unhappy with the safety conditions that were being Uh, displayed in the previous days before the incident that took place where Helena Hutchins and Sousa, she lost her life and he was shot. Now, there was people that uh, left the set, resigned from the set. Uh, They made their safety concerns known. So anybody that's going to sign on is obviously going to try and be loyal to the production for future work and things like that. So I think that it's very self-serving. That's something that could have been brought out in court. However, they made it public. Uh, you know, they're just trying to, we call it in the police department, bill, you'll be familiar with the term CYA cover your ass. That's what they're looking to do. They're looking to cover their ass. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, this is like two and two adds up to four. It's not that hard to see. You don't need to, uh, you know, you don't need a law degree to figure this stuff out. Um, just the the whole way that things are taking place and how this investigation is going and the things that are happening now that as we were going on the air, this came over. I think that uh, you're going to be looking at criminal charges down the line. Somebody is going to be facing criminal charges. I think it's clear.
0: You know, I think it's a, there's a very good chance of that. And all these legal experts are talking, uh, oh no, it's not going to happen except our own Joe Murray, he said the very good possibility someone could be charged or multiple people could be charged. So let's not, you know, jump to conclusions that there could be no uh, criminal charges in, in this case. There very well could be. And as we mentioned earlier, the charges would be either of a reckless nature yep. or, of a, or of a manslaughter nature. And that the intent, uh, I think I've said this a couple of times, uh, Criminal culpability. There's four ways: recklessly, intentionally, criminally, negligently, or knowingly, and that those are the culpable mental states of mind. And I'm not going to give a lecture on the law, but uh, that was pretty good, me. though. That was pretty. Oh, yeah, good. I, I remember because I remember the acronym RIC, and I always remembered that. I, I used to teach my students that. What's RIC? And they were like, "Oh my professor, why are you messing with us?" You know. <laughs> so tonight
1: we, we, we have. You know what, Billy? Too Here, here's one thing, a point that I got to make. Um, you know, when a police officer puts on a uniform and goes to work or a firefighter or someone in the military, they go into battle, the chances of you getting hurt are definitely there and not going home to your family. Now, someone that's on a movie set, there really is almost uh, an exception. And, and you you know, you, you almost feel like, the chances of that person getting killed are very minute, unless there's some strange accident. So that's where the culpability is going to come into this. How did those live rounds get on the set of this movie and get into that gun and that he fires the shot and that young lady is dead. And now that uh, Souza is injured from, from the thing, from the injury, from the bullet. So I think that that's where the criminality is going to come in. It's reckless. It's what you said. Reckless behavior is what caused this horrible accident.
0: Well, you know something that someone in the chat is saying, if, you rule, if you're ruling out murder, you're not doing your job. Well, murder is usually intentionally. all right. Yeah. There's not usually a criminal statue of recklessly or, or criminal negligence in murder. But however, it is in manslaughter and it is in criminally negligent homicide. Right. The, term, the term homicide simply means death caused by another. And it doesn't always even have to be criminal. So that's just all that means. Murder is a whole different thing, and it goes to intent. And uh, poss- you know it doesn't have to have motive, but usually when there is an intentional murder, there is a motive to it. I want to bring on our great expert, our crime scene expert, retired NYPD Sergeant John Pellucci, patiently waiting in the wings in our green room.
2: <laughs> As go- Welcome, John. I got to paint this room green, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess so. It's actually his own room.
2: We didn't buy that room for him i love hearing you guys talk really it's incredible it's uh it reminds me of the days you know like just you know uh bantering theories around and stuff like that and you guys have so much knowledge it's really wonderful spitballing. we call that spitballing. spitballing yeah exactly you know what's uh you know osha could actually be some pretty significant leverage right because osha creates standards and you have to be in compliance with these standards you know or even guidelines and if you know if there's live ammo on the set whatever it is they're way outside of the guidelines guess what that means right that means they have the authority to shut this company down and that means money and i think friendship and all that goes out the window when you see big dollars you know starting to disappear so there's a lot of leverage there oh she's got a lot of power you know you can't really underestimate that i think it's i think it's a step in the right direction you know Uh, one thing i'm thinking about it it took a long time for them to get the phone right uh you, you know people there were rumors. I don't know if you guys have heard any more about that, about people uh, actually firing live rounds on the set or, you know, some other area of the set. I'm wondering, you know, if if he has photos on the, on the camera, I think you might be able to tell there was a deletion, but you wouldn't know what the photo was, you know? So maybe, you know, something like that. let me take a few, a few selfies of, you know, shooting his beer can or whatever it is, you know. So. You know,
0: John, I think he made a statement that he was shooting the gun with under the direction and supervision of the armorer. So that would sort of indicate that there were live rounds. And the, the chief from Santa Fe also said that they discovered not just the live round that was in the gun that killed Helena Hutchins, but several other live rounds. I think so, it was up
1: to a hundred, Billy. I saw one of the press conferences where they was, they said there was an, an in excess of 500 rounds altogether collected by crime scene. However, they said there was up to a hundred live rounds found. I mean, whether it's one round or a hundred rounds, I don't think it matters. There shouldn't even be one, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. You know, I mean, it's uh you're opening the door right there.
0: There should and, be no live rounds on that set. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. you know, So, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff, you know. And he, he uh, in his interview, he said that he had training, right? Firearms training. And he talked about these armors. Or when you, when I was reading articles about the armors, they didn't even have the nomenclature right for anything on these firearms. It's like uh, it's like when people say, yeah, we got the slug out of the body, right? It's not a slug. It's a you know, so, but 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 somebody who who's familiar with firearms, you know, knows that this isn't a drum. You know what I mean? This isn't a hatch. Back here, you know, these are, uh, you know, this is your cylinders, your loading gate. So, so how can you be an armorer that doesn't even know the nom- the, the proper nomenclature for the firearms that you're working with, right? These these guns right here. Remember, uh, so this is this is a single action Colt. I don't know if anybody else saw this from last time, but it is a, a single action Colt. This is actually a 22, but it is the same design uh, as the old Colts. This is a pe- actually a Peacemaker right and this is what they call single action only that's the gun that's the Pieta, right there uh that which is a replica of a cult right so that's uh that's pretty similar to the firearm they were using on the set they're not that expensive either those uh you know those uh replicas but so you can see that this it has it has all the uh has a lot of similarities with with this firearm right here right so this is our this is our base pin what's interesting about these single action guns is you see how you see how we swing the cylinder out like that right everybody remembers that from the academy if you had a a revolver in the academy and you had your speed loaders but it's very easy to check this gun you just swing the cylinder out and that's it on this firearm the cylinder doesn't swing out right so it's got this uh it's got this base pin here that holds the cylinder in but the way these guns are loaded and unloaded is through this loading gate right and the only way you can do that is you pull the hammer halfway back and you can uh you can turn the cylinder and load it or you can pull on this uh your ejector rod and you can unload it like that right so if you want to take this cylinder out you're going to have to pull this uh you have like a set for the for the uh, base pin and you have to it's really tricky to manipulate these things let me say So you got to pull this, you got to pull that pin out that that we just saw right here, right? You got to have the hammer halfway back. You got to have the loading gate open, right? And then you can drop your cylinder out like that. So to check these guns is a little bit more work than to check the revolvers that we're used to, right? So now we have no cylinder in the gun. And uh, um, so that one was a 45. This one's one's a 22. As far as pulling the trigger goes, like, uh, you know, not not touching the trigger and the hammer dropping. What's wrong with his story? You see this half cock position, which is for loading, right? So we could turn the cylinder. It's not gonna go back past that half cock, right? If the gun's fully cocked, that hammer's not gonna drop either, right? The only way I'm dropping that hammer is by pulling the trigger and that's it. That's the only way that hammer is gonna drop. I saw a lot of interesting comments in our last one about uh about the gun being modified for that like kind of western fanning thing you know where uh where you wouldn't even have uh, like a sear that holds the, the hammer back or anything like that uh that you know that that's an interesting theory is uh i don't think that they're doing anything like that as i said when a firearm goes to the firearms identification unit there's two things that are going to happen you're going to have the the uh bullet or fragment or whatever was pulled out of uh, that guy's arm that's going to be compared to a test fire from the 45 Long Colt that they would, that Pieta and uh and determine w- whether or not this is the firearm that actually fired it, right? So that's that's the first thing they're going to do. Actually, it's the second thing they're going to do. First thing they're going to do is an operability test, they're going to test all the safety features on this gun, they're going to see if this thing was modified, right? So you have armorers on the set, and armor is somebody that says, Hey, you know what, this, this base pin got bent, I'm going to put a new base pin in. That's an armor right they just they're just parts replacement people but they should know what the parts are called right so a gunsmith is somebody who can actually go inside of this firearm and modify it so that you do have those much less safe features such as an ability to just fan the hammer and uh and it's going to fire every single time you know i I doubt that it was like that people have brought up some there's been some really really Uh, interesting points brought up on your chats. And I really. uh, Well, you know, John,
0: someone just asked, and I want to ask you this because I'm by no means a ballistics expert. Someone just asked, where is the firing pin on that firearm? Is it. I was just going to ask that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, So there's, there's a mechanism here. uh, Is it a floating
1: fire pin, John?
0: Yeah.
2: So the hammer impacts that. Right. Yeah. But if, so if you look at the Smith right
1: the pin is and right and
2: on the hammer. this one this we notice isn't loaded right yeah so the pin is on the back of the hammer you can see the firing pin right there so that that's so that that gun is a uh is a replica of the Colt um
1: uh, is the like, one in question? Is it? Do you know if it has a firing pin on the hammer, or is it also a floating firing pin? I believe it would be the same. This, it's, if it's a replica, it should be
2: the same as this one here. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we had pictures of that one with the hammer back. I don't think we do, though. Uh, I don't. Yeah, think there so is much. a
1: picture of it. Let's see. The, 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 the last time we showed one where it would it cocked, I think it's in someone's hand, Bill.
0: Oh no, I don't know if I have. Let me see if I still have that picture. Yeah, I do it, actually. It, there we go.
1: Hey, right yeah, all right, well, they, so there's a firing pin on that hammer. Firing yeah. pin on the hammer.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So. so basically, the only way that that gun is going to fire is if that pin, that hammer, bangs up against a live round.
2: Yeah. So the so the hammer's got to uh, the firing pin's got to strike a primer, right? And the primer is impact sensitive, right? So the primer is going to explode. Um, bullets, you know, cartridges don't explode. They, it's it's a, a burning of gunpowder, and that that, create, that builds up pressure within the cartridge, and then the bullet is actually propelled down the uh, down the barrel, right. So w- what's interesting too is uh, when he claims that uh, that he didn't know that the gun ha- had a live round in it. This is someone supposedly trained, right. So think about um, Newton's third law, right, which is for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. So when you watch those, you watch those TV shows where the guy this this has a, you could put a magnum in here, right? So if I shot somebody with a magnum uh, 357 round, and the guy goes flying through a window, right? If he went flying through a window, then I'm going to be flying in this direction, right? So that's that's just physics. That's all there is to it. If you know if I'm firing a gun, there are firearms that are powerful enough to knock people down, like a lot of rifles and stuff. We've seen that. You could watch that all day on YouTube, but uh, you know, so so we have an equal and opposite reaction, right? Now, when you when you think about a bullet traveling down, we remember we looked at that Glock, Bill But uh, just to just to make something really clear, this this is another revolver, right? This John, is another... do you, would
0: you want me to play that video of that Glock? Uh... Yeah, let me
2: just make this one point, and then sure. uh, so you see, this is this is unloaded, right? So this is a uh, this is actually a, a thirty eight three fifty seven. This one's double action only, double action only. The only way this gun's going to go off is if I pull the trigger, right? See the the cylinder turn? That's the only way this gun's going to go off. This one is single or double, right? So always check it again, right? Every time I pull the trigger, right, two things happen. Hammer goes back, hammer goes forward. Hammer goes back, hammer goes forward, right? I can also cock this gun and then have it be single action right so this one's single or double this one's double only and this one this one here is single action the only way to fire this is to cock the hammer i have to cock the hammer on that thing to get it to go
0: you know john i remember when we first came on the job i came on in 1985 they had uh revolvers you could cock them yes and and the police department didn't want that to happen anymore because there were several bad accidents where officers had cocked the gun and accidentally shot and killed somebody sure So they used to train us to how to lower the hammer on a live round i don't know if you remember that if you were in the academy then so the gun would you have to put your thumb between uh, yeah the hammer and and you know and Uh, the the round. so yeah i was a silver gun
2: i i had i had a revolver but it didn't have the spur on the hammer you know so i was uh you, know, you would you would call me a rookie now anybody that's ever had a revolver is a dinosaur right so yeah that's so it's right. be like this so basically you want to get that hammer moving forward so you you won't drop it because if you try and hot dog it and, and uncock it like this you know you might you might accidentally slip and have an accident and then
0: and then the go the gun would go off yes yeah
2: and you know like you know because it goes down to like maybe two three pounds of pressure very 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 uh, low pressure for for me to pull this trigger watch i'm just barely touching it and it goes off now for me to shoot double action i really got to pull on this thing right right so uh yeah it used to unnerve you a little bit when you're in a stairwell you know going up to an apartment or something you hear the guy behind you <laughs> you're like oh god don't trip on the stairs not good, not good. <laughs> you, know, know, you know
0: john there was a funny story years ago when i worked in the 2-0 the commanding officer in the ico worked an unannounced midnight tour and they showed up in plain clothes, unannounced on a burglary, and burst through the roof door. And one of the cops fired a shot at them. Wow! Thank God he missed them. Yeah, but he was like startled, and he fired a shot. And you know, and they they realized they were wrong too.
1: Yeah, because, they should have announced over the right, radio. like
0: yeah. right, we're going, we're showing up in plain clothes, but they were more concerned with maybe catching someone. Wearing white socks, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Yeah, exactly. And you know, uh, and so they were had, a, and they downplayed it because they didn't even. I don't even think the cop got in trouble because wow. then they, they would have to out themselves as being wrong too. Yeah, you know? some people should be the police, and some pe- people should just
1: call. Any time when we were in anti-crime and we wound up in a backyard, we would always say, "Central be advised, plainclothes offices in the backyard." And I even worked with a with a. uh african-american office and he would say central be advice you know because there was a lot of uh, african-americans in the area I work, central be advisor, african-american office in the backyard that he didn't want to get shot by a fellow
0: officer you know so that's why that's why a lot of um african-american officers didn't want to work anti-crime because it was that much more dangerous for them it really of was course. you know yeah and there's always the danger when you're working in plain clothes of getting shot by friendly fire that could happen uh No matter what your race, but that's always a good thing to announce your presence on the radio. Uniform officers, anti crime is on the scene. Just realize we're a couple in such and such unmarked car, especially you say it's street crime, an anti crime unit from outside the borough. And that's even more dangerous because
1: they're not going to know you. They're not going to recognize
0: you. Yeah, exactly. So you got to announce yourself. John, do you want me to play that little video of the. of the glass yeah, let, let me uh i'll just do a quick intro for something like that right Let's okay go sure. first.
2: so th- this is uh this is a three fit this is a, i'm sorry it's a 38 plus p right and uh is it <laughs> maybe it's a 357 no it's a third there's a this is, a th- this is a 38 plus p right so look at the look at the size of the case think about how much powder goes in there right this is a 45 long colt look at the size of that case right holds a lot of powder so we're not talking about a toy gun, uh, whatever's, whatever's in it, right? And obviously it's a gun that's capable of discharging around. So when you think about it now, so this is, this is a, uh, a 38 plus Peter's a hollow point, right? And this is, this is a 38 caliber, uh, 38, three, 38, 357 57, 9mm, millimeter. They're all the same diameter, right? Here's the thing. So watch this, this bullet has a copper jacket on it, right? And this is the barrel that it's going to get fired out of right so watch this when i when i go to put the the bullet part of this cartridge inside the barrel i'm i'm putting pressure on this and you can still see part of the copper jacket right that's because of the uh the lands and grooves like so you have uh lands and grooves if you can look at that barrel you'll see there's like a spiral inside of there and you see how there's like notches around, uh, around the outside. So those are, are uh, grooves and then lands are the ones that stick out. So what happens is the bullet fits so tightly in there that it's actually being cut, uh, by the lands as, it, as it travels through there. And then you're getting striations, uh, on it from the, uh, even from the grooves. Right. So, so essentially what I'm telling you is like, this is a tight fit, right? This is a really tight fit. So a bullet is going to build a lot of pressure behind it now we if we could look at that uh, glock video Bill, that'd be, that'd be great so what we're going to see is we're going to see uh a glock being fired See, there's uh some smoke that comes out ahead of the bullet and then the bullet and then a big plume of smoke behind the bullet right so what's happening is that burning powder is building up all that pressure behind the bullet and the bullet is being forced through the barrel and it's a very tight fit right so now you have think about uh i don't think about a bottle of soda if you if you had something uh, like put a piece of tape over the the mouth of it and you shook it up right just a piece of tape on there right and it's gonna kind of you know fizz out all around the tape now stick a cork in there and shake it up right you're gonna have a lot more pressure building up you're gonna have an action of the cork being forced out of the bottle right so this is what's happening here right you can see a much larger plume of smoke some of the smoke escapes around the bullet uh, and then you have the bullet exiting the muzzle and then you have that large plume behind it which is where the, the bullet's getting all that pressure behind it right so now if you go back to that uh analogy of the of the soda bottle where you shake it up with a cork in it Right now, that cork is going to take off out of that bottle. So that's creating an action. There's going to be an an equal and opposite reaction. So when that bullet leaves the muzzle, uh, you're going to feel a recoil versus if it was just open and you fired, if you fired just basically a 45 long colt with a little bit of wadding in the end of it, and this thing's full of powder, right? When When you fire it, there's not going to be that pressure that builds up behind the bullet, right? So you're going to have a noticeable recoil when you fire that with a bullet in it versus firing these blanks. So if this is a guy that's got all this training and, and uh, fires blanks on the sets all the time and stuff like that and has no idea that something went, went wrong, uh, there's a lot of, there were a lot of indicators that something went wrong. You
1: know, I mean so if he was firing blanks in the past and now he's firing a live round, they there would be a noticeable difference, correct? I believe John? There's a noticeable difference, sure. Why not?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, John, a... I've I've fired, and I'm sure Phil probably has too. i fired a 45 caliber semi-automatic, and it is so super powerful. If you yeah. fire like you know, 50 rounds, it actually your hand hurts at the uh, <laughs> at the end of firing 50 rounds because the recoil on that, like you saw. And and we were looking at a nine millimeter and that was in super slow motion yeah but the the a forty five has tremendous recoil and so for him to say that he didn't know that he fired a live round is just it does not pass the smell test you know
2: right yeah and you know and somebody having a a bullet in their arm like wouldn't you Expect to hear you just shot me, you son of a bitch, or something like that, you know? That Uh, plays
1: into his story that he didn't know for about a minute that anybody was shot. He thought she would fainted. Number one, you have, obviously, what John just pointed out, that the one guy was screaming, I'm hit. She's on the floor. And then he's got to know the difference that now the gun... Th- threw, it it threw out a tremendous recoil as opposed to when you're firing a blank, the recoil is obviously much, much less. So I think he could have put that together in seconds as opposed to, you know, not knowing for a minute. That sounds like baloney to me.
0: Well, Phil, especially the loud noise that a gun makes, besides all the other things, the recoil, the smoke, the fact that two people were shot with one uh, projectile, right. that gives you a pretty damn good idea that this was no boating accident you know what i mean yeah that's yeah. a great that's a great point the fact that the bullet had enough uh energy to
2: to pass through a human body and then actually so so they call that a perforating wound what we just call through and through so perforating one body and then uh penetrating another one that's uh that that's a live cartridge that's not like somebody Put something together and like, oh yeah! They, instead of a wadding, we used uh, bubble gum. Boy, that's pretty powerful stuff. You know, that, that's a, that's probably a you know commercial cartridge or somebody who does reloading that that made a cartridge with a bullet on it.
0: You know, John, oh, yeah. no, the one thing, of course, that everyone's talking about is, uh, and I don't know if they'll ever find this out, who the hell put a live round in that firearm? yeah
2: it's it, it, it it's my it's really mind-blowing you know what i mean uh the the you know how safety conscious you have to be with firearms i mean uh to to just to handle this gun. you know how many times i checked this before we came on the air i check it every single time i pick it up you know and right now it's pointing in a direction that it's it's pointed towards the window and there's like 300 yards uh, I'm sort of pointing towards a wall, and there's like 300 yards on the other side of that wall. So, I mean, you have to be ultra safety conscious, you know, to, to have these things, and 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 to know something now somebody knows that there's live cartridges mixed in to this location, right? Now, I took a course uh, by some former uh, ATF agents that was a fantastic course. It was all about these really off the wall uh make some firearms and and how to handle them how to make them safe and do all these things this was all cops in this course i was retired but everybody else was active and before you walked in there you had to make sure like all your ammo is in your car it's these are cops right you know they they did not want one live round in that building so you had to show them hey here's my gun it's in slide lock Uh, i don't have you want to check my pockets whatever it is because you don't take that chance Right, uh, I don't know what this training that he talks about is all about, but uh,
0: had they cool. utilized ultra safety, we wouldn't be talking about this. It's exactly. Weird.
2: so exactly, yeah. You know,
0: I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, and John, if you want to take part in this, you're welcome to also. I want to talk a little bit about the interviews that occurred on the very uh day that this happened. Uh, of all, uh, Phil, we had uh, gone this route before. 16 people were inside that church when this shooting occurred. And obviously you want to separate all of them. You want to interview all of them. I don't know if in fact extensive enough interviews were done of the principals. To me, the principals was of course, Alec Baldwin, uh, David Halls, and uh, the armor, armor, Mr. Reed. Uh, according to Alec Baldwin's um, statement with um, George uh, Snuffleupagus there, he said that he was only interviewed by the police for an hour and 15 minutes. To me, after an an investigation like this, that is not a long enough time to get a, a real accurate statement. And then also getting accurate statements from the three principals is the most important. And then you also have 13 other people to interview separately from them So that you can, when you come up with a a pretty good idea as investigators of what the hell occurred, now you want to challenge the principles and you want to challenge some of the witnesses if the stories differ from each other. That takes time. That takes way more than an hour and 15 minutes. And if they didn't do that, because once you let everyone go home that night, the stories are all going to change tremendously. As you see, they are changing right now. As lawyers get to them, as they talk to other people, as they talk to insurance companies, as they talk to risk management, as they talk to uh, you know people that uh, invested in the film, all their stories change. So that's why it's so so important to lock those statements in that very night. Philly, I know you you're chopping at the bit to come at this one. Oh, I am because uh, it's clear
1: what you just laid out uh, Hall's his attorney, Delisa Lisa Taracco, says that he did not hand the gun to Alec Baldwin. He never had possession of that gun when the accident occurred. However, it's detailed in one of the search warrants that Holds grabbed the gun from the cart, yelled out safe gun and handed it to Alec Baldwin. So I think that obviously he's going to wind up with a problem. If his Position under oath, he's going to say that I did not hand the gun to Alec Baldwin. He's going to get caught in a perjury trap because he apparently has said that, and maybe other people said that too. So he's going to have an issue there, one hundred percent. Now, regarding um, you know the shots that were allegedly fired, the target practice in the days prior, I would want to know who was present when those shots were fired, and then I'm going to ask each one of them individually. Where did you get the ammunition from? How many rounds were present? What did you do with the rounds after you finished target practice? Those are going to be the vital and the important questions to lead to criminal charges, because whoever put the guns into the round may not really be on the table. They may not know exactly that. But the person that had rounds, live rounds on a movie set, that's the person that obviously is reckless. There's going to be much more detail. Maybe they can actually find out who was the person that put these live rounds into the gun, but that's what I would be de- drawing down on and digging down on. I want to know who was present when those shots were being fired during that target practice.
0: because that's the link to this horrible accident. 100%. Right. Mr. Deja vu King uh, from the chat says FBI search warrant for Alec Baldwin's phone has been issued in the last 10 minutes. So is that in addition to the Santa Fe police or is this the search warrant we're talking about?
1: I, I believe I got the, the notification as the open was coming on and that's probably one in the same. Uh, so it, it, it says it was from the, I'll read it again real quick, but I think it was from the, uh, pol- the Santa Fe police but the, maybe the FBI is the one that's uh, doing the press release, because I don't see the FBI doing a search warrant on this when you have the local authorities, you know, Bill? I don't think it's an FBI, uh, uh, you know, has the jurisdiction over it at this point.
0: No, they don't. Uh, folks, I just want to um, thank all you guys that are in the chat. I just see that there's still a lot of interest in this case, and there's go- it's going to remain a lot of interest. And it's interesting to us because it brings in science. It brings in uh, the art of investigation as well as the science and Phil and I are the artists and uh, John Pellucci is the scientist. So we think we can give you both sides of the investigative coin. And I find it really interesting because investigation, you know, you got to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And the, the fact is people do not tell the truth. So finding truth, is the biggest part of investigation so i want to thank all you folks for listening if you're not subscribed please go on our youtube hit that subscribe button ring that bell give us a thumbs up join our patreon support uh, police off the cuff and if you want to be part of the youtube family you can join our youtube channel that's uh signified by folks in the chat with the green font they're part of the police off the cuff family and we appreciate each and every one of you guys in supporting our channel. So uh John I,
1: I pulled up on the phone. I'm gonna try and hold it up to the camera. I don't know if you'll be able to read it. Uh sheriff issues search warrant as focus turns to Baldwin and Rush shooting probe. So it appears appears that the uh the Santa Fe Sheriff was the one who issued the warrant. It was probably released. That uh that listener, uh subscriber. Uh, fan, whatever you want to call him, probably saw uh, a blog or something that uh, maybe came from an FBI uh, media source or something like that. But uh, it looks like it was issued by the uh, Santa Fe Sheriff.
0: You know, Phil, it's very possible until the FBI has the tool that regular law enforcement doesn't have. And that's if you lie to the FBI, you can be arrested. You can lie, you can lie to your heart's content to the local police and they can't arrest you for lying. However, the FBI can arrest you just for lying to a federal agent. I wish we did have that tool.
1: Yes, so do I. I I remember through uh, the early days of uh, 9-11, post-9-11, I was assigned to the intelligence division, and we would go out on leads, and we would always try to grab, you know, we work in in conjunction with the FBI and we would always try to grab an FBI agent or two to come with us. So that way, while we were doing our interview, we would make them very well aware of it. If you lie in the presence of this FBI agent, you could be, uh, you know, you could be liable for a year in jail for lying to a federal agent. And, uh, we had a, a case, one in particular where, uh, it was a, uh, related to an anthrax hoax. It turned out to be a hoax. But the minute that we introduced the FBI agent, uh, the guy began to sweat and he came out with the real deal. So uh, it's just a great tool for law enforcement to have uh, a federal, you know, federal agency uh, FBI agent uh, working with you, especially on a case like that, a terrorism
0: thing It uh, was really, really helpful. That's great. John uh, Pellucci, I want to ask you, we're talking about the... Uh the art of investigation, which to me is the police work, the, uh, the interview, the interrogation, they're trying to get to the truth. But you're the science guy. And science can absolutely, you know, shut, uh, you know, make it closed and shut case because science is so much more reliable than the art. I always used to uh, love in a homicide case, if we got something forensic that we could hang our hat on, if you got DNA, if you got a fingerprint uh you know if you got a, a footprint if you got anything that you could forensically tie someone to a scene to and it and believe it or not people think because of the csi effect that there's always uh evidence on the scene there's always physical evidence there's always fibers there's always blood there's always dna and i forget the famous expression we use, we use it absence of what is it absence of <laughs> Ab- absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, absence. Yeah. i love that Actually, i just paul, love
2: that paul, uh, paul kirk was a very famous uh forensic scientist he was in the sam Shepard case he did the blood stain pattern analysis Remember the old sam Shepard murder from ohio he was a doctor was wrongfully convicted i think uh oh god he was oj's lawyer too uh F. 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 yeah F. exactly yeah. he was uh he was on that case but uh yeah so paul kirk says uh that it's there, right? Because there was uh remember Locard's exchange principle, right? Every contact yes. leaves a trace. When I leave this chair, some of me is in the chair, some of the chair is with me, right? So that and that happens. Like it's uh you know, according to Locard and, and uh Paul Kirk, the only thing that's hindering us is our inability to find it. We might not have the technology to find it. Think about where we are now with technology versus where we were even just 10, 15 years ago. You know we're actually taking ourselves out of usefulness with with dna analysis it's become so sensitive that we get these mixtures right and, and dna is really a quantitative uh discipline where it's all it's all done with numbers you know and and uh very easy if, if you have a single source to uh to identify somebody and when you have mixtures that's where you start getting into a little bit more of a subjective area with dna right so we're at the point now where it's testing is so sensitive we could get a profile off of just about anything however we're going to start getting more and more mixtures with the the more we uh, amp up the, the sensitivity on that on that kind of testing you know but it, it's also been said uh, crime scene reconstruction now this this whole thing's got to be reconstructed and 16 people there well John
0: how come your number isn't ringing off the hook right now? No forensics it, it, <laughs> they must dismay one of the
1: defense if there's charges it's uh, one of the defendants well, I, well, being, uh... they, they
0: have to know that you're not forensics for free you're crime scene investigation That's right, right? that's right yeah
2: well i i think the pro- the problem is uh they wouldn't want to pay me to come in there after being on your show
1: cuz we're kind of sinking their ship right you know
0: <laughs> in a way yeah, yeah. But-
1: it, it, who knows? It might save one of the uh, one of the other people. That could yeah, be- that's, that's true. true. That's you true. know, I
0: just want to read this statement that Chris Hoyle. This is important. Uh, this is, a it good is very point. important. I'd like to know if drug tests were done on all of the people before they left the set. Potter's legal here in New Mexico. Chris Hoyle, I can answer. I'm very, very doubtful. First of all, to do a drug test, they would have to get a search warrant. Yeah. No one's going to voluntarily take a uh, drug test, even Alec Baldwin he would refuse. And then a, dr- a judge would have to issue an order to take his blood. And that wasn't done. Uh, so as far as I know, it wasn't done. So, You, uh, you know, Bill, so I'm-,
1: I'm glad that this point was brought up because recently I was talking to uh, a former colleague and he was injured, obviously a member of the police department, injured. And he was actually, by one of his doctors was going to prescribe him uh, legal marijuana. However, had he taken that prescription, he would not have been able to carry his firearm. He would have had to surrender his fa- firearm until whatever period of time it is that this uh, this legal marijuana would have uh, left his system. He probably would have had to go through testing and may have lost his gun for uh, quite a period of time, you know. So now you're talking about what's the liability end of putting a gun into someone's hand that could be uh, intoxicated on a legal drug. You know, it is uh that was a great question to bring yeah, up. Great question. Well, I had, you know,
0: Philly, I'd just like to go one step further with that. Uh, if you have a gun permit in New York state and you apply for a pharmaceutical drug card to get marijuana, yeah, they're connected and you will lose your gun permit. Yeah. Yeah. Very, sneak, very sneaky of these libs, but yeah. uh, that's yeah. what it is you know yeah.
2: you know it's good about that question i mean uh you guys will probably know more than me but don't you think we have we have a dead human body right isn't there enough there remember like uh after the sean bell shooting i think it was now as mandatory breathalyzers for if you're involved in a shooting right or uh, or uh not even the breathalyzer, the the full. Uh,
0: yeah, officers uh, don't have the same rights as uh, as regular citizens. You're right. If you're involved in a shooting, officer involved shooting, yeah, uh, right. you're, you're required to take a drug test.
2: I'm and... saying so, but isn't there enough to compel uh, somebody, you know, them to submit this this test? Because you do have a dead person here. What's the degree of recklessness? You know, are are you intoxicated? Are you, you know, what I mean? The, or maybe you know, so it's an accident, probably. You know, accident. Still a homicide, as you were saying before, though, because death at the hands of another, right? But but you have a dead person here. We have reckless behavior. Do they do they have enough to compel them to to submit to these types of uh, tests?
0: Yes, yes, by <laughs> by a search warrant signed by a judge, they could make him give his blood or his DNA or his whatever.
1: I think Uh, the armorer would be, could be compelled because she's the one that is uh, responsible for the safe handling of the firearms, the safeguarding of the firearm, the loading and unloading of the firearm. So her, I mean, what was her uh, mental state? uh, I, I would like to have had her drug tested at that time. And, and, you know, if she was intoxicated, then obviously the mistake could have been made very easily.
0: You know, on the earlier show, I covered a a little bit of this. And uh, one of the things that Alec Baldwin said when he was being interviewed by the police uh, was one of the police or the investigator, the detective, I don't know if it was a male or female. She showed him a picture of the projectile that was taken out of uh, Mr. Sosa's um, shoulder. shoulder. And I immediately said, that's not good investigative protocol. You never tell people what you have. You solicit information. You don't give them information. So I don't know why that investigator told Alec Baldwin that. No, this was a real round. We took it out of his shoulder. I think that was a mistake.
1: Yeah, that, that shouldn't have been discussed. I mean... I don't know. Maybe at the end of the uh, the interview, after they have all of the information. I mean, you could have told them. You didn't have to actually show them. But uh, that that that's something that. Uh yeah, I don't think that should have been done. I mean, it's it's like when we were talking last night uh, about uh, a detective showing up at the scene of a, of a rape or a sexual abuse and asking the victim for a pen. The guy shouldn't be in the bureau if you do something like yes. that. The guy shouldn't be a cop. I mean, that was a, the first thing they told you day one when you got sworn in a watch and a pen is probably going to be the tools you're going to need the most on the job because you're going to want to write stuff down and you're going to want to know what time it is. So, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's pretty, it may, that sounds like something that happens one in a million, you know, but if, uh, you're, if you're a Colombo fan, no, that was his, his
2: trademark, you know, he's always looking for that. <laughs> yeah. For a pencil too. You got a pencil? Yeah. yeah. And the
1: cigar in the mouth. <laughs> and and the other famous thing was one last thing when yeah, he said yeah. that, you know it was right. coming to an end. One last, last thing.
0: thing. You know one of the things I wanted to say about these interviews to uh especially the police interviews and we discussed it earlier is that the first um interview that you give to the police that is really the baseline of of the truth. That's going to be considered uh to be the truth more than any other statement you make at any other time because you're going to change up based on uh your liability based on your if you have a criminal liability uh based on the fact that you spoke to an attorney based on the fact that you spoke to other people about the case so that's why it's so important uh and i've said this ad nauseum for the detectives to lock in these statements and to make sure that the statements are as accurate as possible and again we said. You do that by challenging the principles with the statements of the others. So you f- somehow, out of all of that, you get the real truth as to what actually occurred.
1: Yeah, you know you know what else too, Billy? Right off the bat, uh, we're going to use Holds as an example. So now the first day, the interview, he says, I handed the gun to Alec Baldwin. Now his lawyer is saying, no, he never did that. He gets on the stand Uh, The prosecution can attack his credibility by saying, so you said this on the first day, but you're saying this now, you didn't hand the gun, which day were you lying? And I mean, right there, he's got to answer. He can't say I did both. He's going to say, well, you know, this is the truth. I, I, I didn't hand the gun. And so that means you lied on the day. So you, you see where I'm going with it? That's something that will attack the credibility. Very, very important what you said, Billy. Very, very important that when you do any investigation, if it's, a, if it's a homicide or if it's a serious assault or something to that nature, you need to get a good interview done as soon as possible. Lock the person in. Now, if they change the story down the line, that's on them. They can do what they want with their attorneys. and, and But you have a great statement. You have a very strong statement. You're locking them into a story, and then again, like you said, it can also be used uh, based on other statements. That is a conflict, isn't You know, the stories aren't lining up. You know, inconsistencies minor are always expected. People see things differently, they remember things differently. But if you got a major inconsistency, like one person is saying, "No, the armor didn't hand the gun to Alec Baldwin. It was the AD holds," and and he's going to say, "No, I didn't." Now, you got a tremendous inconsistency there, and somebody's not telling the truth.
0: Well, you know, Phil, one of the things, uh, no one, of course, would ever admit to lying. What they would say is that this is how I remember it today, right now. And that's how it's a defense, it's a prosecutor's job to say, well, you were interviewed two hours after the event. Would you agree that you probably had a better memory of it two hours after the event than you do have? five months or four months after the event. So how are you remembering it so clearly now, yet not clearly two hours after the event? So that's how it, they would uh, sort of cancel that out as, because uh, no one could admit they're lying. That's perjury.
2: You know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering when you guys would interview somebody, did you have music playing in the background? No. Oh, okay. Because no. that, that Stephanopoulos interview, did you see that? Like, So an interview, where, where are we now in, in this day and age, that we need to be entertained somehow, right? There's an interview. When you interview somebody, you ask them questions, and they don't cut yeah, off. Yeah, there's
0: no, there's uh, absolutely like,
2: like building up, and then you know, so so right right off the bat, that tells you there's a lot of editing going on, a lot of editing.
0: Yes, yeah, so one of the things about interviewing interrogation is you want the room to be as plain as hell. There should absolutely never be a clock in any room that you interview someone in, because that's a distraction. The colors should be non-offensive, not bright. They should be of a, a neutral type of color. Don't let uh, out too much, Billy. Don't oh, let yeah, out well, one of the things that I always said to all the detectives is, did you take the person's cell phone from them, or did you have them turn it off? That can 100% destroy an interview. If someone gets a call or tries to make a call during the interview, you might as well fold up the tent. You're done. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I think there's there's a lot of techniques that we use when we're doing an interview, especially an in interrogation. Uh, you know, we, we've gone through it a little bit. I don't want to go too much, but you always want to have the person alone, obviously, isolated. And you always want to have at least two people present doing the, uh, even if one person's doing the questioning, you want to have another person there. It's like a psychological move. It outnumbers them uh, in their subconscious. So, uh, but I think that there's a few other things. I'm not going to go into it, but uh, yeah, there shouldn't be music playing. They were highly criticized for that interview uh, all over the media, all over the internet, Twitter. They should, you know, they, they made it like a, a motion picture production and he's talking about uh, this horrible accident that took a life of a young lady.
0: Yeah. Or Origami, or uh, Bolden being backed by 25 career-seeking industry people, what if he found guilty? Do they all become accomplices? ABC should be charged with interfering with the course of justice. Well, that hasn't happened yet. They haven't interfered with it. I think that that letter from the uh, crew was just a smokescreen. And that's more for the civil case than it is. For any potentiality of a criminal case, uh, but look, obviously these people are, you know, trying to uh, circle the wagons, and you know, people that work on low-budget movies, they're not getting hired a lot, so they they, they want to stay in that industry, and uh, they'll do whatever they can to get their next job, you know.
1: They probably want to, uh, like you said, stay in the industry. They want to look like a hero. And then everybody's entitled to their opinion. And they could say, in my particular position in this production, I didn't see anything that wasn't unsafe. They can take that opinion. But, you know, again, if they're challenged, well, what would be something that is not safe is a question that I would ask. You know, what would you consider something that's reckless or unsafe? You know, and then you're going to get into their, their psyche or what, or what they believe in based on their opinion. And so, uh, I, I don't think that letter holds too much weight, as far as I'm concerned. There's, there's so much counter to that. There's people walking off the set, quitting uh, you know, complaining that, and, and Baldwin even admitted that during the interview with Stephanopoulos that he was going to, uh, there was complaints about, uh, the hotel that the people were staying at were an hour away and he was going to go into his pocket and pay for something, uh, be uh, uh, an Airbnb that was closer to the set. So, I mean, he's basically admitting it. There's, there's no question that there was unhappy people on that set involved in the
0: production. You know, as there are on a lot of sets, even high-budget sets, the people at the lowest level, they work the longest hours, they get paid the least, they get the worst yeah. accommodations, they get the worst food. So, you know, I'm sure you go on any Hollywood set, not everyone's going to be a happy camper. Not everyone's making $10 million to star in the movie. You know, the lower-level people, you know, they're just scraping by because they love to work within that industry. So, guys, I think we're going to uh, – I'm going to go around and give you last words because we have another show tonight at nine o'clock. We're really burning the the oil today. This is like my third or fourth (laughs) show today. Uh, We're going to have the red, white and Bethune family come on. And if you guys have been following us and following duty, Ron, they're the family that travels around the country in their mobile home with their three kids. And they found Gabby Petito's van. And by them doing that, that enabled law enforcement to recover the remains of Gabby Petito. So it was a huge thing. And they're an interesting family. We're going to have them on our show at nine o'clock tonight. Phil will be there with me. I don't think John Pellucci is going to be there doing another gun demonstration, but uh, I want to really thank you, John, for coming on the show tonight. And I'm going to give you some last words and then we'll uh, go to Phil last night.
2: Yeah. It's my, it's my pleasure to be here. You know, I just really want to, you know, send uh Condolences out to the victim's family. It's got this. Has got to be so difficult for them, you know. Any any loss of life is is tragic, and especially when the whole world's following it. It's uh, it's it's terrible. So I just want to send my condolences out to them. Uh, I just want to also send uh, my support out to the to the men and women that are investigating the scene. You know, crime scene reconstruction. They say, think about when you buy a box, a puzzle uh, that comes in a box, right? And now I give it to you, only I throw the cover away that has the picture on it that you're supposed to recreate, right? And then I take two-thirds of the pieces and I throw them away and I say, here, this is what happened, right? They got, they got a big job. It might seem like it's a nothing thing. It's one shot fired. These things, the more you go into it, the harder it is. And I really want to uh, let them know that we all, you know, all of us here, we, we support them uh, very much. They got a very difficult job to do.
0: You know, John, I would look at you when you were on the scene of a crime scene and it was 95 degrees and it smelled horrible, the body smelled, there was blood all over the place, blood spatter, and I was like, wow, he earns his damn money, this guy, you know, (laughs) I wouldn't want to do that for anything, you know, wearing that white Tyvek suit, you know, the mask, the booties, I was like, oh, you can have that job. Oh,
2: that's Yeah, Tyvek suit, and I just had a a scene in Staten Island. uh, Couple of years ago, there's no air conditioning in the house, like 104 in the house, Tyvek suit, gloves, everything.
0: Uh, oh, horrible. Yeah, yeah. So it's- Phil Grimaldi,
1: last words. Last words, John. Thank you so much. I think your demonstrations and your expertise is actually priceless. It really, I think, brought a, a tremendous amount of information and knowledge to the people, uh, the viewers, uh, to understand the inner workings of the gun and the firearms and and uh, how we took apart uh, some of the statements that Alec made uh, during that interview. Um I just want to also mention uh, in the last couple of shows, since we did the Christmas show, I've been saying for the, our brothers and sisters in blue to be safe. Always something that seems to happen around this time of the year. Uh, last night, an off-duty lieutenant was shot. He got into a gunfight with a bunch of guys trying to rob him. Uh, I think he was shot about three or four times, but he is going to live. He's okay. One of the bad guys, DOA. So that's one for us. Uh, guys, wear your vest out there. Guys and gals, uh, be safe. Go home to your families. Uh, it's a beautiful time of the year. Uh, my sister complimented the Christmas lights in the background. Let's all have a safe uh, and healthy and happy uh, holiday season. Uh, and again, Bill, I guess I'll be seeing you in a little while. We're going to do that. Uh, That's for sure. We're really looking forward to them, to the Badoons. That was really important to the Petito case. It was almost like... Uh, uh, divine inter- intervention for them to be there at that specific time with their video camera, you know?
0: 100%. And, you know, guys, uh, we're trying to, we're burning the midnight oil. We're charging towards 25,000 subscribers and you can help us. So we'll see you guys at nine o'clock. Thank you guys for subscribing, for supporting Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Have a good night and be safe. Nice. Stay you safe, everybody.
1: Take
2: care. One episode just saying enough.